Section 4 of The Golden Bough, Part 3 The Dying God by Sir James George Fraser. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 2, Part 3 3. Kings killed at the end of a fixed term. Kings put to death after a fixed term. In the cases hitherto described, the divine king or priest is suffered by his people to retain office until some outward defect, some visible symptom of failing health or advancing age, warns them that he is no longer equal to the discharge of his divine duties. But not until such symptoms have made their appearance is he put to death. Some peoples, however, appear to have thought it unsafe to wait for even the slightest symptom of decay, and have preferred to kill the king while he was still in the full vigour of life. Accordingly, they have fixed a term beyond which he might not reign, and at the close of which he must die, the term fixed upon being short enough to exclude the possibility of his degenerating physically in the interval. In some parts of southern India, the period fixed was twelve years. Thus, according to an old traveller in the province of Guadalquer, about twenty leagues to the northeast of Cape Comorin, there is a Gentile house of prayer in which there is an idol, which they hold in great account and every twelve years they celebrate a great feast to it, whither all the Gentiles go as to a jubilee. This temple possesses many lands and much revenue. It is a very great affair. This province has a king over it, who has not more than twelve years to reign from jubilee to jubilee. His manner of living is in this wise, that is to say, when the twelve years are completed. On the day of this feast, there are assembled together innumerable people, and much money is spent in giving food to Brahmins. The king has a wooden scaffold made, spread over with silken hangings, and on that day he goes to bathe at a tank with great ceremonies and sound the music. After that he comes to the idol and prays to it, and mounts onto the scaffolding, and there before all the people he takes some very sharp knives, and begins to cut off his nose, and then his ears, and his lips, and all his members, and as much flesh of himself as he can. And he throws it away very hurriedly, until so much of his blood is spilled that it begins to faint, and then he cuts his throat himself. And he performs his sacrifice to the idol, and whoever desires to reign other twelve years, in order to take this metrotum for love of the idol, has to be present looking on at this, and from that place they raise him up as king. Custom of the Kings of Calicut The king of Calicut, on the Malabar coast, bears a title of Samorian of Samori, which, in the native language, is said to mean God on earth. He pretends to be of a higher rank than the Brahmins, and to be inferior only to the invisible gods, a pretension that was acknowledged by his subjects, but which is held as absurd and abominable by the Brahmins, by whom he is only treated as a Sudra. Formerly, the Samorian had to cut his throat in public at the end of a twelve years' reign, but towards the end of the seventeenth century, the rule had been modified as follows. Many strange customs were observed in this country in former times, and some very odd ones are still continued. It was an ancient custom of the Samorian to reign but twelve years and no longer. If he died before his term was expired, it saved him a troublesome ceremony of cutting his own throat, on a public scaffold erected for the purpose. He first made a feast for all his nobility and gentry, who were very numerous. After the feast he had saluted his guests and went on the scaffold and very decently cut his own throat in the view of the assembly, 
and his body was a little while after burned with great pomp and ceremony and the grandees elected a new simoleon whether their custom was a religious or a civil ceremony i know not but it is now laid aside and a new custom is followed by the modern simoleons that jubilee is proclaimed throughout his dominions at the end of twelve years and a tent is pitched for him in a spacious plain and a great feast is celebrated for ten or twelve days with mirth and jollity guns fire night and day so at the end of the feast any four of the guests that have a mind to gain a crown by a desperate action in fighting their way through thirty or forty thousand of his guards and kill the simoleon in his tent he that kills him succeeds him in his empire in anno 1695 one of those jubilees happened and the tent pitched near penani a seaport of his about fifteen leagues to the southward of calicut there were but three men that would venture on that desperate action who fell in with sword and target among the guard and after they had killed and wounded many were themselves killed one of the desperados had a nephew of fifteen or sixteen years of age that kept close by his uncle in the attack on the guards and when he saw him fall the youth got through the guards into the tent and made a stroke at his majesty's head and it certainly dispatched him if a large brass lamp which was burning over his head had not marred the blow but before he could make another he was killed by the guards and i believe the same simoleon reigns yet i chanced to come that time along the coast and heard the guns for two or three days and nights successively fuller account of the calico custom the english traveller whose account i have quoted did not himself witness the festival he describes though he heard the sound of the firing in the distance fortunately exact records of these festivals and of the number of men who perished at them have been preserved in the archives of the royal family of caligut in the latter part of the nineteenth century they were examined by mr w logan with the personal assistance of the reigning king and from his work it is possible to gain an accurate conception both of the tragedy and of the scene where it was periodically enacted down to seventeen forty three when the ceremony took place for the last time the mahamakam or great sacrifice at calicut the festival at which the king of calicut staked his crown and life on the issue of battle was known as the mahamakan or great sacrifice it fell every twelfth year when the planet jupiter was in retrograde motion in the sign of the crab and lasted twenty-eight days culminating at the time of the eighth lunar asterism in the month of makaram as the date of the festival was determined by the position of jupiter in the sky and the interval between two festivals was twelve years which is roughly jupiter's period of revolution around the sun we may conjecture that the splendid planet was supposed to be in a special sense the king's star and to rule his destiny the period of its revolution in heaven corresponding to the period of his reign on earth however that may be the ceremony was observed with great pomp at the Tiranavaye temple on the north bank of the ponani river the spot is close to the present railway line as the train rushes by you can just catch a glimpse of the temple almost hidden behind a clump of trees on the river bank from the western gateway of the temple a perfectly straight road highly raised above the level of the surrounding rice fields and shaded by a fine avenue runs for half a mile to a high ridge with a precipitous bank which the outlines of three or four terraces can still be traced on the topmost of the terraces the king took his stand on the immovable day the view which it commands is a fine one across the flat expanse of the rice fields 
when the broad placid river winding through them the eye ranges eastwards to high tablelands their lower slopes embowered in woods while afar off looms the great chain of the western gods and in the furthest distance the nagaris or blue mountains highly distinguishable from the azure of the sky above the attack on the king but it was not to the distant prospect that the king's eyes naturally turned at this crisis of his fate his intention was arrested by a spectacle near at hand for the plain below was alive with troops the banners waving gaily in the sun the white tents of their many camps standing sharply out against the green and gold of the rice fields forty thousand fighting men or more were gathered there to defend the king but the plain swarmed with soldiers the road that cuts across it from the temple of the king's stand was clear of them not a soul was stirring on it each side of the way was barred by palisades and from the palisades on either hand a long hedge of spears held by strong arms projected into the empty road their blades meeting in the middle and forming a glittering arch of steel all was now ready the king waved his sword at the same moment a great chain of massy gold enriched with bosses was placed on an elephant at his side that was the signal for the instant a stir might be seen half a mile away at the gate of the temple a group of swordsmen decked with flowers and smeared with ashes had stepped out from the crowd they have just partaken of their last meal on earth and they now receive the last blessings and farewells of their friends a moment more and they are coming down the lane of spears hewing and stabbing right and left at the spearmen winding and turning and writhing among the blades as if they had no bones in their bodies it is all in vain one after the other they fall some nearer the king some further off content to die not for the shadow of a crown but for the mere sake of approving their dauntless valour and swordsmanship to the world on the last days of the festival the same magnificent display of gallantry the same useless sacrifice of life was repeated again and again yet perhaps no sacrifice is wholly useless which proves that there are men who prefer honour to life custom of kings in bengal it is a singular custom in bengal says an old native historian of india that there is little of hereditary descent in succession to the sovereignty there is a throne allotted for the king there is in like manner a seat or station assigned for each of the emirs wazirs and mansabdars it is at throne that these stations alone which engage the reverence of the people of bengal instead of dependents servants and attendants are next to each of these situations when the king wishes to dismiss or appoint any person whosoever is placed in the seat of the one dismissed is immediately attended and obeyed by the whole establishment of dependents servants and retainers next to the seat which he occupies nay this rule obtains even as to the royal throne itself whoever kills a king and succeeds in placing himself on that throne is immediately acknowledged as king all the emirs wazirs soldiers and peasants instantly obey and submit to him and consider him as being as much their sovereign as they did their former prince and obey his orders implicitly the people of bengal say we are faithful to the throne whoever fills the throne we are obedient and true to it custom of the kings of Pasir. a custom of the same sort formerly prevailed in the little kingdom of Pasir on the northern coast of sumatra the old portuguese historian de barros who informs us of it remarked with surprise that no wise man would wish to be king of Pasir, since the monarch was not allowed by his subjects to live long from time to time a sort of fury seized the people 
and they marched through the streets of the city, chanting with loud voices the fatal words, The king must die. When the king heard that song of death, he knew that his hour had come. The man who struck the fatal blow was of the royal lineage, and as soon as he had done the deed of blood and seated himself on the throne, he was regarded as a legitimate king, provided that he contrived to maintain his seat peaceably for a single day. This, however, the reader's side did not always succeed in doing. When Fernao Perez de Angred, on a voyage to China, put in at Passier for a cargo of spices, two kings were massacred, and then in a most peaceful and orderly manner, without the smallest sign of tumult or sedition in the city, where everything went on as usual course, as if the murder or execution of a king were a matter of everyday occurrence. Indeed, on one occasion, three kings were raised to the dangerous elevation and followed each other on the dusty road of death in a single day. The other people defended the custom, which they esteemed very laudable and even of divine institution, by saying that God would never allow so high and mighty a being as a king, who reigned as his vicegerent on earth, to perish by violence, lest for his sins he thoroughly deserved it. Custom of Slavonic Kings Far away from the tropical island of Sumatra, a rule of the same sort appeared to have obtained among the old Slavs, when the captives Gun and Jeremek contrived to slay the king and queen of the Slavs, and made their escape. They were pursued by the barbarians, who shouted after them that if they would only come back, they would reign instead of the murdered monarch, since, by a public statute of the ancients, the succession to the throne fell to the king's assassin. But the flying regicides turned a deaf ear to promises which they regard as mere base to lure them back to destruction. They continued their flight, and the shouts and clamour of the barbarians gradually died away in the distance. Custom of Thalaveti Parothiam in Malabar When kings were bound to suffer death, whether at their own hands or at the hands of others, on the expiration of a fixed term of years, it was natural they should seek to delegate the painful duty, along with some of the privileges of sovereignty, to a substitute who should suffer vicariously in their stead. This expedient appears to have been resorted to by some of the princes of Malabar. Thus we have informed by a native authority on that country that in some places all powers, both executive and judicial, were delegated for a fixed period to natives by the sovereign. This institution was styled Thalaveti Pariotiam, or authority obtained by decapitation. Parothiam is a name of a supreme authority of those days. The name of the office is still preserved in a Cochin state, where the village headman is called a Parathia Karan. This Thalaveti Parothiam was a terrible but interesting institution. It was an office tenable for five years during which its bearer was invested with supreme despotic powers within his jurisdiction. On the expiry of the five years, the man's head was cut off and thrown up in the air amongst a large concourse of villagers, each of whom vied with the other in trying to catch it in its course down. He who succeeded was nominated to the post for the next five years. Custom of the Sultans of Java A similar delegation of the duty of dying for his country was perhaps practiced by the Sultans of Java. At least, such a custom would explain a strange scene which was witnessed at the court of one of these sultans by the famous traveller Ibn Battuta, a native of Tangier, who visited these Indies in the first half of the 14th century. He says, During my audience with the sultan, I saw a man who held in his hand a knife 
without used by a great cleaner. He placed it on his own neck and spoke for a long time in a language which I did not understand. After that he seized the knife with both hands at once and cut his throat. His head fell to the ground. So sharp was the blade and so great the force with which he used it. I remained dumbfounded at his behaviour, but the sultan said to me, Does any one do like that in your country? I answered, Never did I see such a thing. He smiled and replied, These people are our slaves, and they kill themselves for love of us. Then he commanded that he should take away him who had slain himself, and should burn him. The sultan's officers, the grandees, the troops, and the common people attended the cremation. The sovereign assigned a liberal pension to the children of the deceased, to his wife, and to his brothers. And they were highly honoured because of his conduct. A person who was present at the audience when the event I have described took place informed me that the speech made by the man who sacrificed himself set forth his devotion to the monarch. He said that he wished to immolate himself out of affection for the sovereign, as his father had done for love for the prince's father, and as his grandfather had done out of regard for the prince's grandfather. We may conjecture that formerly the sultans of Java, like the kings of Kualakir and Calicut, were bound to cut their own throats at the end of a fixed term of years, but that, at a later time, they deputed the painful, the glorious duty of dying for their country to the members of a certain family, who received by way of recompense ample provision during their life, and a handsome funeral at death. Religious Suicides in India A similar mode of religious suicide seems to have been often adopted in India, especially in Malabar, during the Middle Ages. Thus we are told by Fire Jordanus that in the Greater India, by which he seems to mean Malabar and the neighbouring regions, many sacrifice themselves to the idols. When they are sick or involved in misfortune, they vow themselves to the idol in case they are delivered. Then when they have recovered, they fatten themselves for one or two years. And when another festival comes round, they cover themselves in flowers, crown themselves with white garlands, and go singing and playing before the idol when it is carried through the land. There, after they have shown off a great deal, they take a sword with two handles like those used in currying leather, put it to the back of the neck, and cutting strongly with both hands, sever their heads from their bodies before the idol. Again, Niccolo Conti, who travelled in the east in the early part of the 15th century, informs us that in the city of Cambaita, many present themselves, who are determined upon self-immolation, having on their neck a broad circular piece of iron, the fore part of which is round, and the hinder part extremely sharp. A chain attached to the fore part hangs suspended upon the breast, in which the victims sitting down with their legs drawn up and their neck bent, insert their feet. Then, on the speaker pronouncing certain words, they suddenly stretch out their legs, at the same time, drawing up their neck, cut off their own head, yielding up their lives as a sacrifice to their idols. These men are regarded as saints. Among the Jaintas, or Sintangs, a Kasi tribe of Assam, human sacrifices used to be only offered on this sandy day in the month of Ashwin. Persons often came forward voluntarily and presented themselves as victims. This they generally did by appearing before the Raja on the last day of Shravan and declaring that the goddess had called them to herself. After due inquiry, if the would-be victim were found suitable, 
it was customary for the rajah to present him with a gold anklet and to give him permission to live as he chose and to do what he liked the royal treasury undertaking to pay compensation for any damage he might do in the exercise of his remarkable privileges but the enjoyment of these privileges was very short on the day appointed the voluntary victim after bathing and purifying himself was dressed in new attire daubed with red sandalwood and vermilion and bedecked with garlands thus arrayed he sat for a time in meditation and prayer on the dais in front of the goddess then he made a sign with his finger and the executioner after uttering the usual formulas cut off his head which was thereafter laid before the goddess on a golden plate the lungs were cooked and eaten by such kendra yogis as were present and it is said that the royal family partook of a small quantity of rice cooked in the blood of the victim the ceremony was usually witnessed by crowds of spectators who assembled from all parts of the neighbouring hills when the supply of voluntary victims fell short emissaries were sent out to kidnap strangers from other territories and it was a practice of such manhunts that led to the annexation of the jinta country by the british pretense of putting king's proxy to death when once kings who had hitherto been bound to die a violent death at the end of a term of years conceived the happy thought of dying by deputy in the persons of others they would very naturally put it in practice and accordingly we need not wonder at finding so popular an expedient or traces of it in many lands thus for example the buyas are an aboriginal race of northeastern india and one of their chief seats is kianjur at the installation of the rajah of kianjur a ceremony is observed which has been described as follows by an english officer who witnessed it then the sword a very rusty old weapon is placed in the rajah's hand and one of the buyas named Amankopat comes before him and kneeling sideways the rajah touches him on the neck as if about to strike off his head and it is said that in former days there was no fiction in this part of the ceremony the family of the Kopat hold their lands on the condition that the victim when required shall be produced anand however hurriedly arose after the accolade and disappeared he must not be seen for three days then he presents himself again to the rajah as miraculously restored to life here the custom of putting the king's proxy to death has dwindled probably under english influence to a mere pretense but elsewhere it survives or has survived till recent times in full force man killed in the installation of a king of kassange kassange a native state in the interior of angola is ruled by a king who bears the title of jagar when a king is about to be installed in office some of the chiefs are dispatched to find a human victim who may not be related by blood or marriage to the new monarch when he comes to the king's camp the victim is provided with everything he requires and all his orders obeyed as promptly as those of the sovereign on the day of the ceremony the king takes his seat on a perforated iron stool his chiefs councillors and the rest of the people forming a great circle round about him behind the king sits his principal wife together with all his concubines an iron gong with two small bells attached to it is then struck by an official who continues to ring the bell during the ceremony the victim is then introduced and placed in front of the king but with his back towards him armed with a scimitar the king then cuts over the man's back extracts his heart and having taken a bite out of it spits it out and gives it to be burned the counsellors meantime hold the victim's body so that the blood from the wound spouts against the king's breast and belly and pouring through the hole in the iron stool 
is collected by the chiefs in their hands, who rub their breasts and beards with it, while they shout, Great is the king and the rights of the state. After that, the corpse is skinned, cut up and cooked with the flesh of an ox, a dog, a hen, and some other animals. The meal thus prepared is served first to the king, then to the chiefs and councillors, and lastly to all the people assembled. Any man who refused to partake of it would be sold into slavery together with his family. The distinction with the human victim is here treated before his execution as if they is a substitute for the king. Sacrifice of the king's sons in Sweden, evidence of a nine years' tenure of the throne. Scandinavian traditions contain some hints that of old the Swedish kings reigned only for periods of nine years, out of which they were put to death or had to find a substitute to die in their stead. Thus Orn, or Orn, king of Sweden, is said to have sacrificed to Odin for length of days and to have been answered by the god they should live so long as he sacrificed one of his sons every ninth year. He sacrificed nine of them in this manner, and would sacrifice a tenth and last, but the Swedes would not allow him. So he died, and was buried in a mound at Uppsala. Another indication of a similar tenure of the crown occurs in a curious legend of the disposition and management of Odin. Offended at his misdeeds, the other gods outlawed and exiled him, but set up in his place a substitute, although by name a cunning wizard, to whom they accorded the symbols both of royalty and of godhead. The deputy bore the name of Odin, and reigned for nearly ten years, when he was driven from the throne while the real Odin came to his own again. His discomfited rival retired to Sweden and was afterwards slain in an attempt to repair his shattered fortunes. As gods are often merely men who loom large through the mists of tradition, we may conjecture that this Norse legend preserves a confused reminiscence of ancient Swedish kings who reigned for nine or ten years together, then abdicated delegating to others the privilege of dying for their country. The great festival which was held at Uppsala every nine years may have been the occasion on which the king or his deputy was put to death. We know that human sacrifice is performed part of their rites. End of section four.